2: And welcome to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startwell. Well, Super Bulldog weekend week here in Startwell, Mississippi's college town. And our good friends at Farm Bureau go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. They have great customer service and any insurance need throughout the state of Mississippi. Our good friends at Farm Bureau. Charlie, on Monday we came in here and I hate to be wrong on something. I was wrong on something the other day. We were talking about Apollo 13, and I don't want to get this out of the way because I made a mistake. And I don't know if we know that, knew this or not. In the movie Apollo 13, we talked about Jim Lovell saying, Houston, we have a problem. Actually, Jack Swaggart was the guy that radioed down to Houston and said, okay, Houston, I think we have a problem here. But in the movie, it was Jim Lovell. Today is the 52nd anniversary of that oxygen tank blowing up. That's kind of how I got to that. I'm sorry. No, and we had we did mention that
1: Fred Hayes uh, was from Biloxi, Mississippi. That was on that what do you call it a flight. It was a
2: flight, yeah. It was a launch,
1: It that was a space mission, flight. Yeah, that mission. The guy that we did mention though was one of my favorite characters from the movie, Ken Mattingly.
2: Yeah, Ken Mattingly,
1: was... the guy who never got the measles, but that was bumped from the from the mission. Yep, never got the measles. So now we do. Gary we do... Sinise played him in the movie, by the way.
2: We do need to get Fred Hayes on the show just to clear up about what was said. Houston, we have a problem, and who said it, and why they said it, and where they were sitting when they said it. Fred Hayes went to Perkinson Junior College as well, not only a Biloxi High School alum, but went to Perkinson as well.
1: We call that Gulf Coast now? Gulf
2: Coast Community College now. So, Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, you hang out with us, you're going to learn some things. I actually got a couple of texts and said, hey, I never knew that Fred Hayes was from Mississippi. And so, Charlie, once again, When people listen to the show, we try to educate you. We try to educate you on sometimes useless information, but sometimes things that that are pretty cool. All right, so last night, State won walk off fashion in 10 innings against UAB. Got the uh, sacrifice slide from uh, Cameron James. Lane Forsythe had four hits in the game last night. He scored the winning run. It was good to see Forsythe last night. He used the middle of the field and was really good. We start Cameron James out in center field. Charlie, we talked about on that on Monday. Slade Offer drew the start at third base, and so you saw some mixing and matching last night that we've talked about. And we saw Pico on the mound start the game yesterday. That surprised you at all? Not really? No, because you kind of knew he was going to be, as you said, just kind of a, an inning eater out of the gate, just a starter. And so he only pitched two innings. Parker Stinnett settled down after giving up the leadoff home run. Uh, Fristo was good for the one inning. I thought he kind of what started the downhill slide for Fristo last night. I thought was just not getting a, a fastball strike called on a two zero pitch that was like right down the heart of the plate, and he just couldn't get it back after that. But um, Casey Hunt was really good in the game last night. It was good to see Casey back out there, and he was outstanding. He came in and limited everything in the top of the ninth inning, and then able to pitch the tenth inning as well. So it was good to see Casey out there, and it kind of sets the table for a big weekend—Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Hey, it was good to win. We had to win that game against UAB, and you know Casey Dunn's going to do a great job at UAB. They were twenty-one and ten coming into last night. But last night was not the night you needed to go 14 or 15 innings because you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday right here on the horizon playing tomorrow night.
1: No, boy, you need to get out of there in a hurry. It's almost, and I know you wouldn't do this, but it's almost like one of those deals,
2: guys, if we're tied after about 10, let's just call this thing a tie and go home. Let's uh... Because UAB plays Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. It's Easter weekend. They're playing Old Dominion at home. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So the last thing you need on a Tuesday night is to go a ton of innings. And so that was a good win for us last night as state wins a walk-off fashion against UAB. We talked about being in Startville, Mississippi's college town. It is Super Bowl all weekend. And, Charlie, not only activities going on on campus, but also make sure your your plans when you come to Super Bowl all weekend bleed over into the Startville community. Yeah, and here's the thing. One of my favorite things to do in Starville
1: is just walk around downtown, walk around Russell Street, walk around the Cotton District, and it's going to be a good weekend for it. This is the classic weekend to find a place where you can sit outside, maybe go to Two Brothers, hang out on the patio down there, just all up and down through the Cotton District, through downtown. It's a great day to be able to sit outside a little while. Great weekend to do that because here's what you're going to have. 73 on Thursday, 81 on Friday, 77. Got a little chance of rain, though, on Saturday. So this is kind of one of those get on up here. Get up here, take the day off Friday, and lot to do here in Starville.
2: Well, and you can look at me and tell what I like to do in Starkville is I like to eat. And so make sure that if you have to get reservations at some of the restaurants, go ahead and get your reservations in for you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Uh, this year on Super Bowl All Weekend. And so great restaurants, more restaurants now, more hotel space, and more coming, more retail coming. That's the thing. I was in a in a meeting just the other day about what all is coming to Startville in the next year. And so this place continues to explode. And so make your your home, make your second home our home, which is Startville, Mississippi, Town. Any questions whatsoever about trying to set your schedule when you come to Startville, go to startville.com. Org, So, Charlie and I have a couple of interviews lined up for you again today. A couple of former Bulldogs. One is C.T. Bradford, played at Mississippi State 2011 to 2014. And then Russ Aldrich will join us. The, the fine men's clothier from the Jackson area will join us. Played at Mississippi State 1977 to 1978. And so, you couple- know why I'm, I'm excited to talk to Russ. I, one of the things about Mississippi State baseball
1: that I've enjoyed on our show is is having a, a broader perspective, is being able to kind of hit the different eras. You know, we had Dale Luntzer on with us, kind of hit some of that uh, earlier period. I enjoy talking to guys who were here, you know, when Coach Polt was coming in, even some guys back in the Paul Gregory days. So
2: we'll get to talk to Russ Aldrich and kind of get some of those early Ron Polk years. And we'll talk to C.T. Bradford on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios. Time now for our guest line segment brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm raised catfish anywhere. Right here in the Mississippi Delta in Itabena. And you can get it at great grocery stores but also at great restaurants throughout the southeast. One of those restaurants is Nick's Barbecue and Catfish in Carlisle, Arkansas. And one of the great things about Nick's, that catfish and shrimp, the catfish and barbecue, everything they have, just about every combo they have, deals with catfish and barbecue. Catfish, shrimp, and barbecue, it's all great stuff. The catfish dinners, you can get it grilled, but mostly fried. So when you think of Nick's barbecue in Carlisle, Arkansas, it's the barbecue, but it's also the great burgers, the sandwiches, But more importantly, that great catfish that they get from our good friends at Heartland Catfish. In this conversation with former Bulldog C.T. Bradford, brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish and Nick's Barbecue and Catfish in Carlisle, Arkansas. So let's talk to former Bulldog C.T. Bradford, played at Mississippi State 2011 to 2014. Well, C.T., normally when we talk to former players, we always get into the thought of how did you end up at Mississippi State and why did you come here And, of course, with your dad playing at Mississippi State in the early 1980s, we we know you're tied to Mississippi State. Was there ever a thought of maybe going somewhere else? Did you grow up coming to Bulldog ball games when you were a kid? Just kind of how you ended up at Mississippi State. Yeah,
3: I would say, uh, you know, we did grow up Mississippi State fans. Uh, We never got a chance to really make a ton of trips up in the start. Well, growing up, um, we came up to a couple camps. We had some high school camps that went up that way. Um, obviously my dad has kept in touch with, uh, coach Polk over the years and coach Polk has kind of done all his, uh, his letters over the years for, for all the various things he does. But, um, really as I started going through the recruiting process in high school, uh, I was, uh, basically, uh, contacted by Butch and Lane at the time, um, Spent a little bit of time with those guys, obviously got up to campus as an underclassman and immediately fell in love with it. Um, and there was really no other choice for me or no other option that seemed uh, like it would be as much of a good fit as, as Starball was for me.
1: CT, when you look at your career, you basically raised your batting average 25, 30 points a year as you progressed through. Right. What, was, what was the key to that? Was it experience? Was it development? Was it understanding the swing? All the above, getting older. Kinda of what what helped you get better every single year? Yeah,
3: I think it was probably just experience. Uh, you know, early in my career at Mississippi State, I think I kinda set off just being a, a new guy in the conference and certain you know, Coach Cullen did a good job of putting me in certain spots where I could find a way to be successful. Um, and then I kinda ran into the injury stuff my sophomore and junior year and brought things back on track my senior year. Um, but really the biggest thing was for me was just, hey, grind out every at-bat. There's going to be a lot of them over the next four years. Um, the best thing you could do is just grind them out and, and do the best you can and enjoy the process.
2: Talking to C.T. Bradford, you know, C.T., early in your career, played some center field, then you were also pitching. and So in today's world of specialization, and we'll get into your work now with the Rays and uh, just a little bit with Rays with scouting, but – you know you used to talk about guys who played shortstop then they come in and pitch and how tough is it today to be a dual player?
3: Uh, I would say it's just it's really difficult um, there are some guys around the country that are, are doing a nice job of it um, and one that comes to mind is actually Braden Montgomery who was a Madison Central player last year he's at Stanford this year um, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job but just the demand of Uh, the practice, the lifting weights, the bullpens, and trying to piece everything together to actually be productive for a team in those type of roles, it can be really difficult for sure.
1: You know, in 2013, you had nine appearances on the mound. You had an ERA under two. Uh, Opponents hit under 200 against you. I mean, you were really good on the mound. Then in 2014, you don't pitch. Was that a decision in terms of, hey, I just want to focus on being a center fielder, were there just more arms around? What into what went into you not taking the mound in fourteen after being so good in thirteen?
3: Yeah, I, I'm no. I would say I, it wasn't a conscious decision by anybody. Uh, we had a couple times. Uh, I'm actually surprised that I, that I pitched nine times in 2013. Uh, it seems like more than I remember, but there was a couple times when it didn't work out as well coming from center. And eventually, we just put it up, put it on the back burner. But um, I don't ever remember there being a conversation that was like, "Hey, we just want to focus on one." Uh, my mentality was, "Hey, how can I help the team the best uh, to the best of my abilities?" And, and I kind of just did whatever whatever I needed to do to do that to make that happen.
2: CT Charlie and I always talk about you know different roles in the batting order, and, and we've had a tough time at times this year. Of trying to establish a leadoff batter with the lineup. And now RJ Yeager over the past couple of weeks has really kind of taken ownership of that leadoff position. You know, you started and you batted a lot in the leadoff position. You hit some, I think, number two in, in the order and then some down in the order. What is, what's the difference? What's the difference for a guy who's a leadoff guy versus your mentality of batting in the seven, eight, nine spot in the order?
3: Well, I think. Number one, you're just going to get pitched to a little bit differently. You're going to get pitched differently at one than you are seven or one than you have, than you are at four, and all, also your responsibilities change. Um, there is something about the you know, first pitch of the game or there is something about the first batter of a game and really you know, playing a role or executing a role that allows you to get the team off to a good start. So um, that's probably the biggest thing, having a guy at the top end that does a good job of managing the strike zone He's patient. He finds a way to get on base. Um, but at the same time, whenever a mistake comes, he's in a position to be on time and, and square something up. So it is a very difficult role, and um, I know that they're revolving in and out from a Mississippi State lineup this year, but I'm sure they'll land on something that works really well.
1: John Cohen, Butch Thompson, Lane Burroughs, Nick Jones, all those guys are people that Bart and I think a lot of. You know, Butch coming in here this right. weekend. I, I'm curious just – we always are fascinated by the recruiting stories and how guys made the connection with that group of coaches to come to Starkville. Uh, what is it that you – because, you know, Mississippi State had not had a ton of success the years prior to you coming. They were getting better, but what what was it that you saw that, that made you want to be a part of the program?
3: Yeah, I would say, first and foremost, uh, a competitive spirit that Coach Cohen uh, had. Uh, immediately whenever I got on campus and watched those guys go through their pregame work and how they attacked BP and all that, I knew that um, there was a type of intensity that ultimately was probably going to outlast others. I thought that was really important. Um, And then from there, I I really felt like the program had started its engine and started to apply pressure on the gas pedal. It was just going to take some time for them to get in a position, you know, where they were back to where, um, you know, Mississippi State baseball standards are. Um, and this staff has done a great job. You talk about recruiting not many people know this, but my wife's brother, so my brother-in-law, is actually Hunter Hines. So, watch the staff, watch these guys work through the recruiting process, they're doing a great job and they're going to be good for, for years to
2: come. I had no idea that Hunter Hines was your brother-in-law. No idea whatsoever. He, yeah.
3: Yeah. I No, he, uh, he's quiet. He's confident, but he, he's quiet. But he, uh, I don't think many people know at this point, but yep. that's So whenever I was in school and Hunter was, geez, maybe eight, nine at the time. So he always came up from Madison. They'd come and watch games and he'd stay after and basically really enjoying his time there.
2: All right, let's kind of talk about what you're doing now and working with the Rays and scouting. And, you know, Charlie and I always talked about how, you know, it's it's almost fascinating when you start trying to recruit and when you start trying to scout baseball because there are just so many kids out there and they're doing so many different things. You know, and I know each organization treats it differently, and you've been with other organizations as well. What's the first thing you look at when you roll up to a ballpark and you're trying to figure out, you know, what you're trying to look for? What's the first thing you're looking at in a kid?
3: Uh, I would probably say playability. You know, I think a a lot of people uh, in the pro setting and also in the college setting, you want to see tools. You want to see guys who can run, who can throw hard, who can hit the ball and hit it far. But at the end of the day, I really do think playability does trump uh, a lot of other tools and can really allow a player to take the next step if they don't have tools. Um, So that's the first thing. I kind of get out there, I look at the field, and I I see who has natural baseball instincts, who has actions that say that they're going to be able to play this game a long time.
1: It seems like baseball players watch now at younger ages more than they've ever been. I know you probably played a lot of baseball in, in showcases and kind of things growing up. You go back thirty years ago uh, when Mike Bradford was coming along. That wasn't the same thing that it is today. How hard is it to find the guy that's overlooked a little bit now?
3: Um, you know, we we have so much exposure, and, and I think the the and Hunter may be a great example of that. He was a guy who didn't, who never really had any college offers leading up to his senior year, and. He took it upon himself to change his body, to make a transformation and get better. All around the country, guys are doing that. And hopefully on our end, in the professional setting, we make sure that we, we have contacts in the area. We have uh, people who we trust. We have people that uh, we talk to. We're out seeing games and we're identifying players that have worked hard and have taken jumps in their game. Uh, and we're able to you know, spend time with those players and get to know them and potentially add them to the organization.
2: CT, when you roll up and and you see, hey, here's the thing about baseball, and Mm -hmm. you have every different kind of teacher, swing coach, things of that nature that are working with these kids now at nine years old, eight years old. Mm -hmm. And and in today's game, when you start thinking about launch angle and trying to drive balls out of the ballpark, the game has changed completely than what it was ten years ago. Is it a situation now when you roll up to a ballpark and and you see a guy who's swinging for the fences every single swing? Is that off-putting to some major league clubs? Is it is that kind of what they're looking for with some major league clubs? I mean, the launch angle has just become kind of a a life of its own right now.
3: Yeah, it it has, and I, I think it changes for every player based upon their their tools, their skills, and and their position really. Um, on what makes sense, but when we come to the game, I think there, there's a clear separation between people who do it easy and, and people who have uh, almost a manufactured or delivery or arm action. So, And those players can certainly be good in their own right, uh, but there is something about a player who just does it easy and it comes really natural to them that it's not manufactured. So we're looking at it on a case-to-case basis, but uh, I'd love to see someone who just does it very, very easy.
1: So what's a day in the life for you? What sort of range are you covering these days and how, how far do you have to travel? How often do you have to be on the road to, to go keep up with guys?
3: Yeah. So, uh, I'm doing, uh, a territory, what we call in our organization, the deep South and different teams, uh, lay it out geographically, uh, a little bit different, but basically I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in Alabama, a lot of time in Mississippi, Louisiana and the panhandle. Um, so a day in the life for me is, is really getting up and making sure that my game's on time, making sure that we're in a good spot, we have the rotation set, people are in place, um, and really just going to watch baseball. Um, and it's it's kind of tough to beat, especially when you start getting to some SEC parks and you start seeing uh, really you know, three really good games throughout a weekend. It it becomes becomes a fun spring, that's for sure.
2: CT appreciates joining us. Hey, have you ever had to throw BP? Like after a, a ball game, I mean, you've heard the hunter, the Hunter uh, Renfro stories, right, from down at Capaya, where they just walked, where they just walked him during the games, and then all of a sudden, you know, the scouts had to sit there and watch the coach throw BP after the game's over. With have you had to throw BP to a guy after a game's over with, just to say, hey, because I didn't get a chance to see you swing during the game?
3: Yeah, we we have. You know, there's, there's a lot of players that we've seen over the years, and uh, there has been times when we've really tried to. Spend a lot of time with the player, and those extra moments, those extra conversations, those extra swings that we get to see, um, you know, could make a difference in, in our selection. So it's really important that we leave no stone unturned. There's no surprises, and and we do the best we can in the time that we're kind of provided before the draft.
2: Hey, Charlie and I make fun of travel ball coaches every now and then because Charlie was a travel ball coach. What's the? Uh, do you ever get the emails or the text messages that says, "Hey, CT, I know a guy." I know a guy, I know a kid, I saw a kid the other day, <laughs> and what's the, what's the earliest, what's the earliest that somebody has sent you a text that says, hey, you need to watch this kid, I know he's 12, but man, he's got great action.
3: Uh, yeah, you know, I don't get that a, a ton, <laughs> just because we, we do start the process a little bit later than, you know, the college stuff, but, um, you know, I do have various people say, hey man, I, got, I have a pretty good player coming up, you need to see him. Um and I will certainly listen. I'll spend time and, and help someone out anytime I can. But um, generally, we like to stick, you know, they have to at least be in high school. How about that? That's kind of a, a non-in-the-book rule that we kind of follow a little bit.
1: Well, hope to see if you're in Starkville. And uh, if you get too close, don't be surprised if we throw a jersey on you and try to squeeze an inning or two out of you.
3: Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't, I don't know if I can be of any help there. But we'd love
2: to see you guys whenever I make the trip up sounds good ct hey appreciate you proud of you man thanks hope you guys well and enjoy the rest of the spring and that's ct bradford former bulldog played 2011 to 2014 charlie i'm kind of a kind of in shock right now had no idea about the hunter hines deal i had no idea at all i've never heard that i mean it's not in the bio anywhere haven't read it anywhere hunter hines had a big hit last night Trying to get off the schneid a little bit, going through some freshman blues right now. Had a big hit against UAB in that game last night. And so, Hunter Hines, C.T. Bradford, I didn't realize the brother-in-law situation. But C.T., just a bulldog at the top of the order. He came in, and Charlie, you brought it up to that point to to him. Program kind of turned 2011 through 2014. He was a big part of that College World Series team in 2013. Hey, I'll give you one more Hunter Hines bit of trivia. We were doing
1: the game about a week or two ago, and remember John Scott? Yes. Bulldog third baseman on that 85 team? John Scott sent me a message, said, you may have mentioned this, but Hunter Hines' dad, Richie, was a great player at Mississippi College in the mid-'80s, and that's back when Mississippi College and Mississippi State used to play each other. I think Mississippi College Mississippi College used to beat us. Yeah. 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 But so – a little more uh, – people are uh, making the hunter Hines connections. It's like the six degrees of hunter Hines, right?
2: Yep, no doubt. Hey, enjoyed that conversation with C.T. Bradford. And once again, that conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish – heartland producing the finest u.s farm raised catfish you can possibly find and you can find it at nick's barbecue and catfish in carlisle arkansas they do it in so many different ways and it's always outstanding so charlie and i'll come back we'll talk to former bulldog russ aldrich on the other side of the break you're listening to out of left field presented by farm bureau And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Mark Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. For a good conversation with former Bulldog C.T. Bradford, and we're going to talk to another former Bulldog. And Russ Aldrich is going to join us. Russ Aldrich played at Mississippi State, 1977 to 1978, a junior college transfer. Came in here with Buck Showalter from Chipola Junior College, and we'll talk to Russ Aldrich in this conversation. Brought to you by our friends at. Country-pleasing sausage. Country-pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi down in Florence. Simply outstanding. Country-pleasing everything they do. They're expanding the butcher shop right now Country Meat Packers. It's on Highway 49 just past Jerry's Catfish House. When you're going south, it's on the left. Country Meat Packers and Country-pleasing sausage. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and just talking about the job that Henry Cooper did of just building that business. A guy that, that started th- started very small, but a business that has continued to grow, continued to grow, continued to grow, and it's really exploded. And a couple reasons. One is, first of all, Henry Cooper is an outstanding person, great guy, unbelievable person. The second thing is he's got a great product. And, Charlie, it's easy to market a really good product.
1: Yeah, and I, we have the fight at my house we always, when we're cooking out, there's always some country pleasing going on, but there's always more than one variety. That's the big thing is we got to always do something different. We had the uh, black pepper cheddar not too long ago. Yep, We had the, the pepper jack and green onion. That was good. But the, the two that are kind of leading in the clubhouse at my house right now, jalapeno cheddar is just kind of always out front, but the three cheese making a big push. And my daughter says that we overlooked the original
2: the The original is outstanding. The original is fantastic, and they and they serve all the stuff at the ballpark. Sometimes you get something different. You got jalapeno cheddar the other night at the ballpark. Yeah, was solid. With that
1: it swall was good in there. It's so oh. uh,
2: anyway. You can get it at the ballpark here at Duty Noble. Each and every ball game, get that uh, that sausage dog from our good friends at Country Pleasing. In this conversation with former Bulldog Russ Aldrich brought to you by our good friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. So let's talk to former Bulldog Russ Aldrich joins us. And Russ, you know, we talk all the time about how guys made it to Mississippi State. And, of course, I was an old junior college guy as well. You were a junior college guy coming in from Chipola, played at Mississippi State in 1977 and 1978. How did you end up in Starkville from Chipola?
0: Well, Bart, it's um, it's a long story, but I'll make it short. It was the worst flight of my life. We uh, we left Chipola on a little four seater that the university it was the university plane. We fly in into Starbucks and Ron Pope meets us with two former play uh, players that uh, we played summer ball with, and uh, one of them actually played with us at Chipola. And we fly in on this little crop duster, and we start wiggling and. My roommate at the time was Buckshell Walter, and he looked at me and he says, we're not going to make it. But anyway, we did, and uh, that's how it started. Uh, we met Ron Polk at Chipola, and then he flew us in. So that's how it got started with every, everyone there uh, at Mississippi State.
1: You know, Russ, we tend to go back and we talk so much about certain teams. You know, you talk about 85, but Bart and I talk all the time. You don't have an 85 team without an 83 team. You don't have 81 That's 79, and we talk about 79 a lot, but it looks to me like you could really make a strong argument that 79 doesn't exist without 77 and 78. The team had, had a losing record in the conference in 76, and all of a sudden in 77, y'all go just over 500, and then 78 just get that much better, go 38-18. It, it looks to me like you guys really – kind of started to make the turn for Mississippi State baseball. Did, did it feel like that at the time, that you guys were kind of on the forefront of turning things around?
0: Well, I don't know if it, if it felt that way. You know, we looked around when we first got there in 1977, and we had a just a tremendous amount of junior college players on this team that were successful and starting. We came together as a team. We learned a lot at Mississippi State together because we stayed together. You know, in MacArthur Hall, we did things together. We practiced together. We did all these little things that people don't understand about players itself. So I think we we started making it a little bit more in 78. because back then, if you recall, it was harder to get into a regional, and the first regional was 1978. There were only 16 teams to get in. We had uh, eight different regionals. And we got beat by Baylor in the finals in 1978, and they went to the World Series. So I do think that we have something to do as far as, as a carryover for the 79 team. But they also did a tremendous job, if you look back at their stats, how they actually just ran through the SEC, and that's hard to do.
2: Talking to Russ Aldrich, you know, looking back at that 77 team, and when you got here and you mentioned all the junior college guys and of course you know we'll talk about buck Walter in, in just a little bit but you start looking at guys like a howie mccann and and, and so many different guys on that team what, what who are the guys that really stand out to you john mcdonald i mean there was just some really solid players don robinson was on that team uh, scott galloway was on that team i mean just uh, when you think back to 1977 what stands out to you
0: well we you a lot of these guys beforehand because uh Uh, At Chipola, our arch rival was Gulf Coast. Howard McCann played at Gulf Coast. Uh, And I knew what kind of player he was. Uh, But we met Jack Lazorco, Dale Bender. They were uh, at Miami-Dade South, and they played together, and they showed up, and we said, hey, we've got some players here, guys. You better turn it up or not. And um, those were really uh, some great memories. And John McDonald actually didn't start Uh, He was a freshman uh, my junior year, but he started making his move toward midseason, and then he was a starter at third base from that point on and did a great job.
1: You were first-team All-SEC as a catcher, and led the team in hitting in 78. And the thing that I noticed about you, though, your strikeout numbers were always low. You're a guy that put the ball in play. How much does it drive you crazy today? if it does, to, to kind of see baseball it's become, you know, where strikeouts just don't embarrass guys anymore?
0: Well, you got a great point there, and it really is. It's, it irritates you to, to look, and sometimes I want to uh, just see a hitter throw his helmet down in the dugout, you know, hit the bat rack, do something like that when they strike out. But that's not the case anymore. They're all they're getting on the end of the bat. They're all Everything's about a power game. It's it's uh getting the ball out of the ballpark, it's power pitching, uh velocity is the is the greatest thing since sliced bread, but uh you know, you gotta pitch. And I took a lot of pride in, in putting the ball in play. And when you get two stripes on you, no matter what the situation, I made sure that I put the ball in play if possible. Now there were some pitchers that were overpowering at the time and, and that didn't happen all the time, but I tried my best, and that was one of my pet peeves is to make sure that I gave myself an opportunity and for my teammates to see I tried to make contact to put the ball in play. And a lot, of things, a lot of things good happen when you put the ball in play.
1: You talk about learning to pitch. I've also made the argument recently that it's important for a catcher to learn to call a game. I've made the argument that baseball would be better if more high school coaches and for that matter, more college coaches got out of the way and let the pitcher and the catcher work together. Do you see that as important, that young catchers learn to call a game behind the plate?
0: Well, I always think it's important just because I wasn't in, in that position, but um, I think some people get lost up today, and it's too robotic. They, they've got an earpiece now into the catcher's ear. They're calling pitches seems to be you got a lot going on. What I wanted to be able to do is I wanted to get in sync with my pitcher. I never really had a problem with a pitcher shaking me off or anything of that nature. In today's game, do you ever see a pitcher shake a pitch off? That messes with the hitter's mind when when a pitcher shakes off he says, well what's he gonna throw next? I used to always go down to the bullpen right before the game to catch the starting pitcher. To see what pitch was working and how I had a plan to call the game. We had scouting reports just like everybody else, but for some reason, I had the ability to remember what pitch a hitter hit, where the hitter stood in the batter's box, and I called pitches due to that. And it was kind of like a game, you know, it's a video game type thing where. The pitcher and the catcher is in sync. And I think that's very important in today. That is called trust. you got to trust your players to do the right
2: thing. Talk about some of the pitchers that you work with. And in today's world, when I start thinking about Jack Lazorco I think about a guy who's just a character. I mean, he's a guy that did a lot of TV out in Texas, And I've heard all the stories about Jack Lazorco when he was in in college here. And I mean, he's kind of a free spirited, funny guy. What kind of pitcher was Jack Lazorco?
0: Jack was a bulldog. I'll never forget the time that um, we were playing Ohio State. And you know how they used to have, I don't know if you guys remember, but they had, uh, it was a fungal circle right next to the batter's box. Oh, yeah. And that's where all the coaches stood for the fungal circle. You guys remember that?
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely.
0: Well, Ohio State had a football player at the time. He was a tight end. He was playing baseball. He was a big guy, kind of like uh, what some of the the players are today as far as uh, the football players. But Jack is on the mound, and he's hollering at the umpire, get that guy out of there, because he was afraid this guy was trying to time his pitches, which he was. And he was watching real close. And uh, I told the umpire, I said, look, well, you need to get this guy out of here. And the umpire didn't do anything. And I turned around. And the next thing I saw was a ball right at this guy's head. And he told the umpire, get him out of that." He threw right at the guy. And all that was done. And I went out to the mound at that time. And I said, Jack, there's one thing I'll do is I'll always fight for you. But that guy's bigger than I am. You're on your own. <laughs> so, I, I Pete? think
2: I think Pete Young tried to do that with uh, with Bo Jackson or Frank Thomas, didn't he? Yeah, it was Frank Thomas and Barry Winford went out there and was like, Look, man, you're <laughs> I on your own here, buddy. Yeah, I'm not fighting I'm not fighting <laughs> for you
1: here. <laughs> so, well let me tell you something. I know
0: what Barry Winford felt too, okay?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic. So you and Buck Showalter have known each other a long time. We we had the chance to visit with Buck about a year ago and you know the thing that always seems to me about Buck is that that is a guy who loves the sport of baseball and he likes doing it the right way. And if you're trying to build a program, if you're trying to build a, a franchise, tough to find a better guy. How exciting as a friend is it to you to see Buck back in the major leagues managing again?
0: Well, it really is. Uh, you know, Buck could have left me a long time ago. You know, With his fame and, and what he's uh, done in the game of baseball, has been really phenomenal but that tells you a lot about him as a person and uh, he's uh you know what he is he's a baseball manager he's an on-the-field manager that's what he does well he loves it he's great at it and and that's where he needs to be so I mean it doesn't surprise me at all I'm glad he's back in it I love to to uh watch him manage a game he's one of the best i've ever seen managing people managing players putting them in the right position and that's what a manager really is is to make sure that his players are in the right position to be successful to win it's fun to watch the games watch him manage quite frankly i feel like i'm managing the games too because i know I feel like I know when he's going to make a move, when he's not going to make a move, who he's going to get up in the bullpen. And it's kind of um, – uh, it's fun to watch. And that's um, that's been a treat watching him back in the game with the Mets as a
1: manager. You know, you talk about the importance kind of, you know, leading players, and you got to let them know that you got your back too. I thought it was interesting this weekend. The Mets got thrown kind of high and tight a couple of times. And it it wasn't a player off the bench. It was Buck Showalter off the bench having his guys back. I I thought that was kind of a neat message to send his team right off the bat here in the the first five games of the year.
0: Well, that's that's exactly right because uh, what happened, he sent his team a message that I have your back. And that's some of the same things that Ron Pope did when he argued a play with an umpire. He was protecting the players. And that's what Buck was doing was protecting the players' itself and sent a, man, a message to uh, the other team that hey, we're not going to put up with this. We're going to uh, we're going to fight for what we believe in.
2: Russ, before we let you go, I mean, what are you doing now? Just tell everybody what uh, what's going on with you. You've been down in the, the Jackson area for a while now. i tell you what he's doing. I have the coolest maroon
1: blazer that you've ever seen. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, I'll tell you, if you need stuff, this guy can fix you up. And the, and the thing about Russ, though, when he comes to see me, is he knows that he's going to be stuck for about 30 minutes of baseball talk, whether he wants it or not.
0: <laughs> well, Charlie, you know what? I love that. You know, I've been I've been in the, the Jackson area. I actually live in Madison. Uh, I'm in the custom clothing business. I sell direct to individuals tailor-made clothes. I've had the pleasure of dealing with a lot of successful businessmen. I've also had the pleasure of dealing with a lot of interesting people from governors to athletes. Uh it is always fun and I've had some great Great stories, and of course. We don't have time to go through all those with a lot of the athletes, but I can tell you that it has actually been uh, a fun ride. I've been doing this for about thirty-seven years. It gives me the flexibility where I can go to Starball, which you know, it, it, as we all know, it's God's country. It's a great place for families, for baseball, for football, basketball, sporting events. We love being there. So, but it's been. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's really fun to take a little piece of fabric and make a suit for someone, a sport coat, or a pair of pants, or maybe even a shirt. And I've made a lot of Mississippi State shirts, Charlie. So, you know, look, you know, if you want that Mississippi State shirt to go with that maroon blazer, I can do it for you.
2: Hey, Russ, we enjoyed it. We appreciate you doing it. Always see yeah. you. Always see you. at the ballpark. Hey, so we'll we'll see you this weekend.
0: But I'll be there, and uh, you guys uh, take care of yourself. Uh, you do a great job, and I appreciate you and what you do for Mississippi State University.
2: And that's former Bulldog Russ Aldrich talking about Mississippi State in the late 1970s. Charlie, you start looking at that roster. Talk about Howie McCann, whose son was Brian McCann, who played the big leagues for a long time. And you start talking about Donnie Robinson and you know so many different guys on that team that were so good, Jack Lazorco. We need to talk to – that's who we need to talk to. We need to talk to Jack Lazorco. There's a guy has got plenty of stories. But just some great characters. And, you know, Mike Kelly. Mike Kelly. Mike
1: Kelly was one of the all-time greats. I think it was our friend Jan Gwynn who referred to Mike Kelly as being Jake Mangum before there was a Jake Mangum. And so Mike Kelly was just getting his start right there too. And a number of guys – Bender was – I would have – I'd like to have seen Bender play or to have remembered yeah. Bender playing, um, seventeen home runs, when the highest total was Aldrich, who hit eight behind him. I mean that that guy was, and you got to remember they just weren't getting as many at bats back then.
2: No, back when hitting a home run was a big deal, yeah, and so and strikeouts were a big deal too. We talked to Russ about that, and so it's kind of funny to to hear some of the guys that played in seventies and eighties talking about how big of a deal it was to strike out back then. Man, you want to talk about just. The easiest ticket to getting a, a
1: player from the, the 70s or 80s fired up is just to <laughs> kind of say, yeah, strikeouts
2: don't matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that. that's Those fighting words right there. In that conversation with Russ Aldrich brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sauces. Country Pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi. It's fantastic. Down in Florence, Mississippi at Country Meat Packers. They're expanding the butcher shop down there to make it bigger and better than ever. And so our good friends at Country Pleasing. Charlie and I will come back. We'll have a final word here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starville. Good conversation right there with Russ Aldrich, former Bulldog. You know, we, we see Buckshell Walter all the time on T V and he's kind of that he's that bulldog manager man and he's been in the game for a long time. We think of him as a manager, but then you talk to Russ Aldrich and then you think back to, you know, Buckshell Walter and Russ coming back coming in here in nineteen seventy seven. He talked about coming in on that four seat plane. We're using planes and recruiting back in the late nineteen seventies. How about that? No wonder we were good. We were hey, you can't tell me there were many other schools in the country using
1: using a crop duster using a crop dusters to stuff. bring guys
2: on recruiting visits, but man, you start looking at those numbers in nineteen seventy seven, what Buck Walter did at the plate that year, and 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 that was not an era where you saw the batting averages that were just so gaudy, but man, he had an unreal season in nineteen seventy seven.
1: No, he absolutely did, and you go back. What still what one of the top ten seasons in the SEC. Magadan had the big year, but there aren't many who can match that.
2: No, not at all. And it is good to see Buckshell Walter back with the Mets. And he he is a guy who will fight for his team. And he's a
1: guy that knows how to handle New York. And you start yeah. to say, can he be successful with the Mets? I'm not a fan of the New York Mets, or at least I wasn't, until Buckshow Walter and Jake Mangum and Cole Gordon, some of those guys got over there. But I think that's a guy who is who is fit for that job. I think he will do a good job.
2: Sometimes the place is a little bit too big. And we saw Mickey Calloway a couple of years ago last, you know, half a season with the Mets. And sometimes, you know, you just can't handle the New York media and about how much pressure comes with that job. And that's a good point right there, Charlie, you just made about Buck can handle that. So, all right, Super Bowl all weekend coming up. Auburn coming in here. We were swept last weekend by LSU. This weekend becomes very, very big. We'll kind of dive into the numbers. We hope we have – we think we're going to have a special Tracks Plus deep dig for you this week. And as we get ready for Auburn this weekend, of course, Tracks Plus with four locations. Go see our, our good friends Daniel Bounds and Ken Crosby over in Columbus, between Starville and Columbus, Fred Fulton down in Hickory, Mississippi, Gresh Howell. In Summit, Mississippi, and then Hoop Williams in Alexandria, Louisiana, with that great barco equipment for the Forester. Saney Excavators, Saney Equipment with their mini excavators as well, and Massey Ferguson Tractors and Implements and all that great equipment. Used equipment as well. They got one of the biggest distributor ships for used equipment in the Deep South, then at their Hickory location. So, our good friends at Tracks Plus. And so, yeah, big weekend this weekend, State and Auburn. I do not have very
1: fond memories of Super Bulldog Weekends over the years. This is the weekend that epitomizes for me the old Ron Polk. Well, the boys were just under a lot of pressure. Isn't this the weekend that that just kind of really hits home the most over the years for us?
2: So here's what's interesting to me, Charlie, is, you know, we used to, and hey, let me tell you, we're fans of this program. I love this program, and I love what we've done in this program, but... Look at where we are now compared to, say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where you really had one weekend out of the year where you had the really big crowds. And now we're getting those big crowds every single SEC weekend. That's a great point. If if you used to think about it, the
1: outfield in the old outfield would just be absolutely slammed. The old aluminum bleachers were just packed to the hilt. But I guess – it's really hard to tell much difference now, isn't it? Well,
2: it's not about just not being able to tell much difference. But it's, you know, these guys, and you, you mentioned, we've had our difficulties on Super Bowl all weekend Saturdays before with the big crowd. You know, last year, Doug Nikhazy came in here and just shoved it. Oh, I mean, we well, threw a one-hitter and it was really good for Ole Miss. And then we won in the Sunday game as well. But now it's, it's like, you know, when everybody shows up for Super Bowl all weekend and you kind of wonder what the crowd's going to be like this you know Friday and Saturday. But, you know, as a player, when you jump out there, used to, that would be the game you're like, oh, okay, these these are the stories we heard about the games like this. And now they're getting those each and every weekend. We had big crowds against Alabama. We had huge crowds against LSU. We're going to have big crowds this week. We may not have as big a crowds this weekend as we did last weekend against LSU. Because of it being Easter? Does that play into it? It may play into it some. you got a Thursday game and a Friday. But I think people are just used to coming to ballpark now, which I think is a great thing. We play later in the year against Tennessee. We're going to have big crowds then. Yeah. So, anyway, I hope they don't provide the Friday night fireworks. So, all right, Charlie. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Good show today. C.T. Bradford and then Russ Aldrich. Great to talk with both those guys. Two guys that are proud to to be Bulldogs, and we're proud that they were Bulldogs. Yeah, absolutely. Take them back right now. Absolutely. Hey, man, enjoyed it. Once again, thanks to our great sponsors, Farm Bureau, go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Our good friends at Startwell.org, Mississippi's College Town, the Startwell CBB, Tracks Plus, Tracks Plus, four locations, got that great equipment, Country Pleasing Sausage, Heartland Catfish. And once again, you can get that great Heartland Catfish at Nick's Barbecue and Catfish in Carlisle, Arkansas. And then our good friends at Bank First. Go to bankfirstfs.com. For all your lending needs, mortgage, mortgage refinance, commercial, business loans, whatever you need at Bank First. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bark Gregory. Appreciate you guys listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.